we continue in our study of the Gospel of John, the scripture reading for today is going to be John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Uh, And that can be found on page 896 in the Blue Pew Bible if you want to follow along with us here. So, John 1, excuse me, John 10, verses 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. And leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming. And leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock... One shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of God. Have a seat. Before we come to this passage, will you bow your heads and hearts with me uh, and let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm grateful. I don't know who it was that established it originally um, here or at uh, Christ the King in Cambridge or, or another church entirely, but this, this cycle that, that, that we have tended to follow over the years of being in the Old Testament and, and then in the Gospel and then in the New Testament over the course of, of the year as we preach. Um, it is a delight to be looking at the Gospel. It is a delight to be reading uh, an account uh, of the days um, when Jesus walked among us. Uh, of the days when the Word was made flesh, uh, and we saw Him full of grace and truth as the only Son of the Father. Um, It is amazing 
uh, to hear his words. Um, it is amazing to hear uh, the unalloyed um, wisdom uh, and, and light uh, that, that pours uh, from his mouth, that reveals to us um, not only what he is like, um, not only what the Son is like, but what the Father is like and what the Spirit is like, what, what you, God, one and three, three and one, uh, are, are like. Um, we saw in, in the passage we just read um, Jesus speaking uh, about his knowledge of the Father, the Father's knowledge of the Son, um, and, and likening it to the knowledge that we would have of you. Um, and that's an amazing thing. We, we don't quite know how that can be true. Um, and yet, we see that he has, he has said that. And, and so, what we want to do is, is just worship uh, and just give thanks and say, please make that more true um, today as we, as we look at your word. Um, Holy Spirit, please uh, take uh, the words that we have read, the words that I will preach and we pray that you would please apply them to all of our hearts in the ways that we need. Um, shape us and mold us uh, into the likeness of Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord. Um, we thank you, as we almost always do, uh, that when we pray for that, uh, we are simply praying for what you have promised. Uh, you have promised that your word never goes out and returns to you without accomplishing its purpose. Um, without accomplishing your purpose, and we are very grateful that it is your purposes that are being accomplished uh, as we are gathered here um, and sitting under your word, and not our purposes. Um, we need a shepherd. We need to be led. Uh, we don't know how to lead ourselves, uh, and so we are so grateful uh, for your word uh, and for your spirit. Um, Father, as always, uh, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart, uh, our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as we continue here, um, looking at, uh, at the Gospel of John, um, we're really picking up where we left off last week. We're continuing the same conversation uh, with the same group of people. Um, we know that because uh, if you look at the last couple verses that we read, uh, 19 to 21, um, when division opens up um, after Jesus speaks uh, these words uh, to them, um, they, they get into an argument about whether or not he, he has a demon, and those who say, no, uh, he doesn't, ask the question, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So these, these are clearly the same people who have just seen him uh, open the eyes of the blind man that we looked at last week. So it's kind of continuing that same conversation, but now uh, the imagery is changing. And we're introducing the very famous, the very well-known um, imagery of a shepherd uh, and sheep. Um, we've been exposed to this imagery uh, quite a bit uh, recently as a church. We had Psalm 23 read uh, in the service last week, uh, Psalm 28 this week. Um, many of the psalms uh, speak of this, the songs that we sung uh, just now. Uh, many of them were, were making allusions to the same, the same idea. You, you probably, if you've ever heard any sermon or, or Sunday school class or anything uh, preached, taught, 
about this idea of sheep and shepherds, you know that this is not an image which is very flattering uh, to us uh, as sheep, right? Uh, sheep need a shepherd. Uh, sheep are well known for not being very smart, uh, not being very well able to take care of themselves. Uh, they scatter without a shepherd. They can't find food. When they do find food, they use it up quickly. Um, they need uh, a shepherd. Um, and what Jesus does uh, right at the outset here is he, he changes the imagery with which he is uh, criticizing the Pharisees uh, and goes uh, from saying that they are uh, blind. At the end of the, the last chapter, uh, he had said um, <clears throat> that, that, that they were blind. And now he faults them for failing in their role as shepherds. Uh, he says that they, are, uh, they have become bad um, shepherds. Um, what we're going to see as we look at the way he goes after them um, is the same thing that we saw last week. That even in judgment, even in critique, um, even when Jesus, as the light of the world, um, the one who shows us what the Father is like, even when he's in the, the mode of exposing our hearts, uh, even when he's the crisis that reveals what's already true, always, 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 even in judgment, God leads with mercy. He always comes with mercy first. And so there's always uh, an, an, an invitation. Um, and that's what we're, we're going to see here. Um, now, I will say that the imagery in this, in this whole passage, um, it gets a little complicated, right? Because not only is Jesus talking about sheep and shepherds, but he's also talking about gates, the door, right? And he refers to himself both as the door for the sheep and the good shepherd. Um, and it can be a little bit hard to keep this straight, but um, if you'll follow me, hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to make this clear, um, it's going to teach us a lot about the kind of shepherd um, that Jesus is, on the one hand, um, and what it means to follow him, what it means to be his sheep, uh, what it means to be his own, um, as, he, as he says it. So, um, so let's take a look at this. Um, as I say, uh, Jesus is criticizing uh, the Pharisees for being bad shepherds. He, he refers to them at various points as being thieves, uh, being robbers, uh, being mere hired hands uh, who care nothing for the sheep. Um, if you go back into the Old Testament, there's, there's, as I say, there's a lot of this sheep-shepherd imagery in the Old Testament. In fact, it shows up in not only the Psalms, uh, but also in the books of the law, the books of Moses, uh, and in the prophets. So you got law, prophets, and writings. That's the whole Old Testament. It's also in the Gospels. It's in 1 Peter. And so basically every genre in the Bible makes use of, of this image in one way or another. One really important passage, uh, you might actually want to turn to this because we'll look at it a couple times, um, Ezekiel 34. It's page 722 in the Blue Pew Bibles. Um, as an aside, Bradley and I have been noticing just constant references to Ezekiel as we've been going through the Gospel of John since last year. I feel like he must have had it open. Um, there's just so much Ezekiel in the Gospel of John. Um, here's, here's Ezekiel 34, 1 to 6, talking about bad shepherds. 
The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. You can hear Jesus um, in referring to the Pharisees as uh, illegitimate shepherds that didn't come in by the door. They're thieves. They're robbers. Um, he's playing on all of these images. Um, they care nothing for the sheep. They're, as it were, quicker to eat the sheep and beat the sheep uh, than they are to feed the sheep. Um, we've seen them do this as recently as the previous chapter with this blind man, right? Remember um, chapter 9, verse 34, when they get angry with him, uh, they say, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out, cast him out of the synagogue, right? So even on the supposition that he is one who has strayed, just like Ezekiel 34 says, they're not going after him. They're not pursuing him. They're not seeking to restore him. Um, this, is the, this is the contrast um, that Jesus is, is laying out um, in, in, these first, in these first several verses. Um, in contrast, uh, Jesus, Jesus says that The true shepherd, when the sheep hear his voice, uh, they know him uh, and they'll follow him. They won't follow a stranger, um, but they'll follow him. Um, Ken Bailey has written a whole series of books um, uh, about trying to see Jesus through the eyes of his contemporaries, and a couple of them in particular focus on this shepherd imagery, and he's got some really uh, humorous anecdotes about what it's like um, when a sheep doesn't recognize the voice of the shepherd. So the picture that you have to have in your mind for what would be going on here um, is that you would have a large open pasture, many sheep, many shepherds, um, and at the end of the day, each shepherd would go out and gather in his flock. And he could do it by voice. Sheep do come to recognize uh, the voice of the shepherd. They will follow the one that they know. And, and Bailey points out, this makes it difficult to introduce a new sheep to the flock um, because, just as Jesus says here, um, they run from the voice of a stranger. You know? And so it, it takes some time to get a sheep uh, not to run away uh, from the shepherd. Um, that's what Jesus is, is, is referring to here. Now, if you look at what God says is going to happen in Ezekiel 34, um, if, you, if you scan down to verse 11, um, God says two different things. On the one hand, verse 11 says, because these shepherds have been so bad, I'm going to be the shepherd myself. 
3411 says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Uh, he goes on to say, I will be the shepherd. I will make them lie down. Uh, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed, uh, and so on. And yet at the same time, in verse 23, um, he also says, I'm going to give David as a shepherd. Verse 23 says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And you say, well, which is it, right? Is God going to be the shepherd or is David going to be the shepherd? How's, how do those things go together? Well, spoiler alert. Um, in Jesus, we have God made flesh, the one who himself uh, goes uh, to his people, and at the same time, the son of David. And it, and it, and it resolves uh, all of these tensions. Um, Jesus has been working with these kinds of, um, of these ideas before. Remember, remember chapter 8? Before Abraham was, I am. Right? Jesus impressing upon them, look, it's not, it's not just that I'm the one who fulfills all the promises made to Abraham. I'm actually further back behind those promises. I'm the one that made the promises to Abraham and the one that fulfills them. Um, you might know that in the Gospels, Jesus' favorite psalm to quote, he quotes Psalm 110 all the time. And he does it unprovoked. It's not like people come and challenge him and he responds with that. He, he goes to them and he says, you know how in Psalm 110, it says, David is writing it, and it says, the Lord said to my Lord, uh, sit uh, at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He says, how, how is it possible that that on the one hand, the Messiah is David's son, and yet David is calling him Lord. How does that work? Um, and no one can ever answer him. But again, um, Jesus is not only the one fulfilling the promises. He's not just the son of David. He's the one that made those promises. He's the one that promised that David would always have a descendant of his uh, sitting on the throne. Um, and I think this actually helps us make sense um, of some of Jesus' metaphors here. You know, as we go through this passage um, in, in John 10, again, he refers to himself both as the door for the sheep, the way in, the way through which the shepherd would have to enter, but also as the good shepherd. Um, and I think one way to understand this is to say that just like the one who called Abraham becomes the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham, just like the one who promised things to David becomes the fulfillment of those promises, so also the door becomes the shepherd. The way in becomes the one who cares uh, for the sheep. Um, Jesus clearly wants us to, to be paying attention to both of these images because when he pulls out his truly, trulys, right, when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, it's to make two points. Um, on the one hand, in verse 1, it's to say um, that these uh, are not good shepherds and to draw a contrast between the way that they've been caring for the sheep, the people of Israel, um, 
and the way that, that he will care for them. On the one hand, he wants to draw that contrast. But in verse 7, he wants them to see that he is the door. He's the way in. Um, he says in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters in by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Um, we'll come back to that language about going in and out and finding pasture, but let me pause here and, and, and just emphasize what Jesus has just said. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What are your expectations for a life of following Jesus? Um, even in this passage here, we're going to see how following Jesus is costly. That to follow in the way that he goes is to follow one who lays down his own life. Um, there's no denying that to follow Jesus is costly. But Jesus made a promise to those who gave up everything for him. He made a promise that in the end it would be as though they had received a hundredfold back. Not that they would literally get back whatever they had given up times a hundred, but that the life that they would have in him would be of such abundance, of such richness, that it would, it would, it would so much answer the longings of their hearts for the world the way it's supposed to be, that it would be as though they hadn't given anything up at all. I mean, I think this is why he goes around healing people on the Sabbath, right? We, we just talked in the adult ed class about how one way to understand the Sabbath this day of rest, this gift that God gives to us, is as a foretaste of a world the way it's supposed to be. And what does Jesus do on the Sabbath? He goes around restoring people, healing people, bringing them back to the way that they're supposed to be. Um, Jesus comes to bring uh, a life uh, of, of abundance. Now, he calls himself the Good Shepherd, and he says, in verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And, and you, gotta, you do have to see that this goes way beyond the language of the Old Testament uh, about what a good shepherd would do. This goes way beyond the language of Ezekiel 34. God says, I will be the shepherd myself. He does not say, I will die. Um, this is going beyond that. This is, this is greatly amplifying the way uh, through which Jesus enters. Um, and just like, if you want to know who David's Lord is, you look at the son of David. If you want to know, what is that God who made promises to David like? You look at where he's chosen to reveal himself in the son of David. You look chiefly in John's gospel. Where's the glory in John's gospel? It's at the cross. If you want to know what David's Lord is like, you look at the son of David giving his life on the cross. And in just the same way, looking at the shepherd, the good shepherd, who gives his life for the sheep, reveals to us more and more about the one who sent him. 
about the way in, uh, about what God is like. God always leads with mercy. With a mercy that, that motivates us uh, to repentance, to turn back to him. Um, and here's where this is relevant to all of us as sheep, right? All of us as being the ones who need a shepherd um, and who have a tendency to follow after shepherds that are very different um, from the good shepherd who lays down his life um, for the sheep. Um, there have, sadly, been a lot of examples uh, recently um, of people in positions of leadership um, who led poorly um, and who led themselves uh, and their followers uh, to ruin. And I think it's worth asking, why do we chase after that? Like, why do we follow um, people uh, who are like that? Um, and I think the answer is simply um, that we are attracted uh, to the lie that there's another way in. There's a, there's a way in that doesn't involve laying down our lives. There's a way in that's more comfortable. There's a way in that doesn't involve the offense of the gospel. Um, when we look at Jesus on the cross, we see God's mercy, but at the same time, we see his judgment against our sin. We, we see this truth that there was no other way, right? Our, our sin is bad enough that in order for it to be dealt with, paid for, put away, put out of sight so that we wouldn't bear it, God himself, the Son of God, has to die. And that's an offense. And to follow after one like that is going to be costly. I think the danger that we're all subject to um, is to try to find someone to lead us in some other way that would be less offensive, that would be less costly, um, but at the same time would be less true, um, and which isn't ultimately going to lead us uh, to the Father. Jesus has two amazing things that I can just note in passing in this passage. One um, is the fact that if there's one shepherd, then the sheep who know his voice, who follow after him, will be one flock. And he specifically says, I have other sheep who aren't here in this fold. Um, and it's good for us to realize, um, at least those of us who aren't Jewish in our background, um, that that's all of us, right? We, we are the sheep in the other fold. Um, and our unity, our being one, our being one body, um, is ultimately predicated on the fact that there's one Lord. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, as Paul puts it. But here, one shepherd, one voice uh, that we know uh, and that we respond to. So that it really is true what we say in the worship service, that we have peace with each other because we have peace with him that that relationship uh, is, is first. The other thing that Jesus says that's, that's really astounding here um, is how he likens that unity um, 
to the unity that he has uh, with the Father. Um, look what he says in verses 17, or excuse me, 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And then in verse 17 he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I gave you that quote on the front of the bulletin from Leslie Newbegin because I think he had a beautiful way of, of talking about uh, what, what Jesus says here. Um, Newbegin says, The action of Jesus in giving his, his life is an act both of complete freedom and of filial obedience. So notice that he doesn't set those two against each other. Um, he's not the passive victim of other men's purposes. Jesus, in going this way, offers his life to the Father in whose will is his joy, confident that what he has so offered cannot be lost, but will be received back. This path of freely willed and obedient surrender to the Father is the way which Jesus is. Let me say that again. This path of freely willed and obedient surrender to the Father is the way which Jesus is. That's the door and along which he leads his people. What we're seeing here is that this indeed is the Son. And as Jesus said in chapter 8, if it's the Son that sets you free, then you're free indeed. So what does that mean? Um, what does it mean to be set free uh, by the Son? What does it mean... Um, to follow after this one. I said we were going to come back to the language in verse 9 about, um, Jesus says, if any enter by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Um, and what's interesting about that is that the, the, the job of going in and out and finding pasture, that's, that's the shepherd's job, right? So this seems to be targeted um, at those that would follow Jesus um, and would be called uh, into the task of shepherding. Now, I think this is relevant uh, to, to all of us and the different vocations um, that, that Jesus called us to, but it is worth highlighting um, for the elders who are here and also in this season of nominations um, to ask, you know, what, is it, what, is that, what does that mean? Um, how is it that entering in through Jesus is essential to being a good shepherd, um, a good under-shepherd under the authority of the chief shepherd? We are, after all, all still sheep. I don't want to lose sight of that. Um, this language of going in and out um, is, in, is in the book of Numbers, for instance. Um, right when Joshua is appointed to succeed Moses... Uh, in Numbers 27, uh, it says, Moses spoke to the Lord, uh, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So there's the, the, the connection there. Um, when you look at this passage, it seems like Jesus is 
offering critique of the way that the Pharisees have been bad shepherds. But it leaves you wondering, or left me wondering, is there an invitation? Is there an invitation to be a better shepherd? Um, and I'm not sure that I see it here in this, in this passage. But if we cast our eyes more broadly, I think we can remember that there was one, there was at least one that Jesus specifically commissioned to be a shepherd. Um, you have to look at the end of the Gospel of John for this, right? Um, John 21, uh, it's the epilogue, it's after the resurrection. Um, Jesus has appeared uh, to the disciples. Um, and in John 21, um, Peter uh, and John and a few other disciples um, are sitting around, and Peter says, I'm going fishing. And you got to realize that for Peter to say, I'm going fishing, um, Peter was not just a hobbyist fisherman, right? Like, that's what he did for a living before Jesus called him. Um, when Jesus called him, um, you know, he'd been out fishing all night. Uh, Jesus shows up, says, do you have any fish? He says, no, we haven't caught any fish. Jesus says, go try one more time. And they catch so many fish that they can't pull them in. And Peter realizes who this is, like has this glimmer of the power, um, and says to Jesus, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, right? Doesn't want to be in his presence. Um, and that's when Jesus calls him. He says, from now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. And since then, Peter has been following Jesus. But right at the end, he betrays him. Right? He, he, he denies that he knows him three times. So in John 21, when Peter says, I'm going fishing, I think what he's saying is, it's all over for me. Um, Jesus is alive, and that's wonderful. There is hope. There's hope for everyone, but there's not hope for me. I'm a traitor. I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. That's, that's better. And then you remember the story. They're out fishing all night. They're not catching anything. Again, Jesus calls to them from the shore. Children, do you have any fish? Um, which, if you've ever been fishing... Um, and haven't caught any fish. That's the last thing you want someone to ask you. Have you caught any fish? They say no. And they, they, Jesus says, well, try the other side of the boat. And immediately, there's too many fish to haul in. And it says, the disciple that Jesus loved, John, says, I think that's Jesus. And Peter doesn't even wait for the boat to get to shore. He just jumps overboard, and he swims a couple hundred yards uh, to get to his Lord, who spreads out a meal for him, makes breakfast. And he asks him, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter says, I do. He asks him three times. He asks him, do you love me? Three times, one time for each denial. It had to be painful. But one time for each denial. And the last time Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He doesn't say, go be a fisher of men again. He says, feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. He says, Peter, now you're a shepherd. Now you're ready. Now you've come in through the door. 
because the door is the one that takes up the cross. The door is the one that turns to the cross. The door is the one of repentance. Second Corinthians 7.10 is this curious but powerful verse that says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. When Jesus restores Peter, what he offers him there is repentance that leads to salvation without regret. And that is an abundant life. That is life in abundance. Can you imagine turning to Jesus, turning away from your sin and turning to the one who died for it, and being able to do so free of regret? That would be a life in abundance. And that is the point at which you're ready for whatever it is that God is calling you into. Um, if that's to be a shepherd, that's, that's the way in. Um, repentance to salvation without regret. Um, but whatever it is, the invitation here is to remember that our God always leads with mercy. So how do we respond? The way to respond to that mercy is to turn to him. It's to turn away from our sin. It's to repent. And this table is a great place uh, to do exactly that. Uh, so before we go there, can we pray?